Good evening, everyone. In this lecture, as usual, I'm going to be talking about you. And I'm going to be talking about a very interesting part of your body called the gastrointestinal tract. Your gastrointestinal tract is about eight meters long. It starts at the mouth and it ends up at the other end. And we're going to have a look at what happens to the food on the plate to break it down to microscopic little particles that then can get absorbed into the blood. And tomorrow morning in the lecture on the liver, we're going to have a look at what happens when it gets into the blood. But in this lecture, we're going to look at the fascinating process that breaks that food that you're probably dreaming about, that you had Sunday lunch, to microscopic little particles, absorb it into your blood. And all the food goes into the mouth. So the mouth is the first organ of digestion. The mouth is the only area that we have say over when it goes in, we have say over what goes in, we have say over the environment surrounding when it goes in. We also have say over how long it's actually in the mouth. And we also have say over how often it goes in. So this is basically the only area that we have total say over. The mouth's pH is an alkaline pH. And there are only two food groups that are broken down in the mouth. A lot of people don't even realize that anything starts its breakdown in the mouth. The enzyme that's released in the mouth that breaks down starch is called tylen. And tylen is what's often called a salivary amylase. The salivary amylase breaks down starch. It doesn't totally break it down, as you'll see as we go down the journey. It begins the breakdown. When children are born, they have no teeth and they have no salivary amylase. And the first teeth children have when they're develop, usually at around the age of 7, 8, 9 tenths months, 11, 12 months of age, are four top teeth and four bottom teeth. And those teeth are called milk teeth. Do you know why? That's all babies should have is milk. But it's also taste time. That's a good time to let your baby have a stick of celery to have a little suck on. Maybe a little bit of apple in a net bag to have a suck on. Maybe a little bit of cucumber to suck on. Maybe a little bit of steamed bean to suck on. It's taste time. And when baby is slowly introduced to food like that, it gives their gut time to adjust to the two, to the new flavorings coming in. The next teeth that come through are the molars. Now the molars come through back here. Molars grind. And when the molars are fully through, then tylen is released by the glands in the mouth and tylen breaks down starch. You see, what we grind, that is your grains. So until the molars are there, babies should not have any grain. And what's the first food that mothers are told to give baby as a rule? Cereal pure starch and when it goes into the baby's mouth it usually comes straight out because until the baby has teeth and even when the baby has teeth because my 
babies were breastfed for several years, they suck with their tongue and their top lip. That comes down. So when this slop, you know, the pharynx goes in, baby automatically goes like that. And you know what happens to the pharynx? It pops straight out the mouth again because of that action. So the mother scoops it up and puts it back in again. Have you ever seen mothers do it? Mm-hmm. Scoop it up, put it back in. Sco- it defies reason to me. It just defies reasons. You know, children should not be eating till they can sit, till they can feed themselves, until they've got teeth to chew it with. And when children are given slopped, you know, they can get to even three, four, five, and they won't eat anything unless it's slop. But when children are given solid food, like what I was saying, when they can sit and suck on it, their little teeth at the front make little chews. My 10-month-old granddaughter, Esther, we're all having dinner together. It was cold and we're in Tasmania, so we put a big sheet on the floor in the lounge room where the fire was, and we ate there. And what does our little girl want to do? They're very social, aren't they? But she's only got three teeth. She can sit, she can feed herself, but she's only got three teeth. My daughter said, Mum, what do we do? I said, give her a steamed green bean, because that was part of our meal. Oh, she was so happy. (laughs) She thought she was doing exactly what we were doing. And, you know, in 20 minutes, half an hour, by the time we'd finished, she'd eaten one centimetre. (laughs) And there were little bits of food all around her where she'd chewed little bits off with her three teeth. That's what it should be. That's what it should be. And it's not until the molars are fully through that the glands in the mouth now release Tylen, which will break down starch. So I didn't give any of my babies any starch until they had a good set of teeth. My son James is 39, and he didn't eat any solid food till he was 16 months of age. Now, you never hear of such a thing. A lot of parents want to see what will happen. And by the way... Whatever you give my little granddaughter Esther, she will eat. So how come babies become fussy? Do you think Esther would be happy with a celery stick if she tasted ice cream? Chocolates? Huh? (laughs) Bisweet biscuits? No, no, no. You see, parents dictate the tastes of their children. Sorry, but they do. Because <laughs> you look at a little crawling baby, they'll, they'll eat anything they find. If they find a caterpillar, they'll eat it. Huh? So where does the fussiness come from? So it is starch that begins its breakdown in the mouth as long as you've got all your molars. The other food is a saturated fat. Saturated fat begins its breakdown in the mouth. Saturated fat is a combination of short and medium chain fatty acids. And underneath the tongue, there are sublingual glands and they release lingual lipase. And lingual lipase is the enzyme that breaks down the saturated fat. So saturated fat is unique in that the breakdown begins in the mouth. That's the only digestion that happens in the mouth. But something very important also happens in the mouth, and that's chewing. We've got teeth for a reason. We should chew, chew, chew until our food is almost a liquid. And then the food comes down the esophagus through this little gateway here called the cardiac sphincter and into the stomach. 
So the stomach is the next organ of digestion and the stomach is not an alkaline environment, it is an acid environment and it's very important that it be an acid environment. You see the folds that line the stomach are like this and they are lined with gastric glands and two-thirds of those gastric glands release mucus and what that does is that provides a thick mucosa wall protecting the stomach about what is released in here. Now what's released here is pepsinogen and the other enzyme that's released there is hydrochloric acid. Now in an acid environment pepsinogen and hydrochloric acid unite to release pepsin and pepsin is the enzyme that breaks down protein. So the only food that's broken down in the stomach is protein and it's broken down by pepsin. Hydrochloric plays a very important role. You see hydrochloric acid not only unites with pepsinogen to release pepsin that breaks down the protein but hydrochloric acid is antifungal, antibacterial so if any fungus or yeast or bacteria happens to be on the food we're eating, if you've got nice strong hydrochloric acid, it basically annihilates it. And you can see why God meant this union to happen here, because if pepsin was here, pepsin could start breaking down the lining of the stomach. Something also is released here, and that's the intrinsic factor. The intrinsic factor is very important for the absorption of B12. So let me give you the B12 story. Let's pretend that this is B12. In food, B12 is bound up with an R protein. And when B12 and the R protein come into the stomach, hydrochloric acid um, breaks that union. What also is released in the stomach is intrinsic factor. Now intrinsic factor and the free B12 travel together all the way down the gut until they get to the last part of the small intestine then intrinsic factor and B12 unite and they're absorbed now into the body. So if someone has low B12 it could simply mean they've got low hydrochloric acid or their gut is not making intrinsic factor. Because once the B12's absorbed, there's an enterohepatic circulation that connects this area with the liver. And B12 can be constantly circulating. So someone can have no B12 in their diet for 30 years before they can show a B12 deficiency. So if someone has a B12 deficiency, the first thing I look at is the function of the stomach. And one of the signs that someone has low hydrochloric acid is they've eaten a meal, six hours later, they're still feeling full. You see, if we had nice strong hydrochloric acid, it breaks down the food, of course, with the connection of pepsinogen quite quickly. I've never met anyone with too much acid in their stomach. If someone says, I've got an over acid stomach, my question is, how do you know? Oh, I can feel it burning. 
oh, the problem's not the acid, the problem might be you're dehydrated and you haven't got enough mucus because mucus is 99% water. Uh, I know it's acid because it keeps coming up here. Well, the problem's not the acid. The problem is this little gate here. You see that little gate called the cardiac sphincter, it should be closed. And if it's closed, no acid will come up. So why would acid come up? Because that little gate is weak. Why would it be weak? A lot of people today have breakfast like a pauper, lunch like a pauper, and dinner is the king and the queen together. And then they lie down at night and gravity presses against that little cardiac sphincter, weakening it. And that little muscle, well, that little sphincter is a muscle. And when it's relaxed, it's closed. And when it tightens, it opens. So stress, stress when all the muscles tighten can open it. So two things will heal, reflux or heartburn. One is eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a queen, and dinner like a pauper, or you say supper. And take magnesium three times a day. Is it that simple? It is. Isn't that good news? And if someone takes antacid to stop the acid going up, what's my next question? What's going to break the protein down now? Huh? And you know what long-term low um, antacids they're finding is producing now? Colon cancer. Because the protein's not getting broken down, partially digested protein is reaching the large colon, and then the and the and the body says, "What are you doing here? Quick, we have to create a lot of bacteria to deal with that, and that excess bacteria can start eating down the colon wall." And if someone says to me, "I've been on antacids for twenty-five years," is it working? Twenty-five years. <laughs> What's the definition of insanity? To do what you've always done and expect different results. So what would cause a weakening in the production of hydrochloric acid? Drinking with the meals. You see, digestion is a chemical process and that whole reaction I just showed you only happens in an acid environment. If people are drinking with their meals, it waters down the acid so you don't get that connection. And it's a, an American habit, isn't it? Certainly an Australian habit. Michael and I go to a restaurant and the waiter, what's the first thing he asks? What will you drink? Oh, no, we won't have anything to drink. Oh, we'll just bring you water. Now, if we say no, thank you, every waiter in the restaurant is coming to us. You don't have water? We let them put the water there. Okay, that just keeps them quiet. <laughs> I think it's because people are so busy, they've got no time and they sit to eat. Oh, I haven't drunk. And then they drunk water. And a lot of people think they just wash the food down. Wash the food down, they basically wash all their digestive enzymes away. We should be stopping water ideally half an hour before the meal, resume about an hour and a half after the meal. That hour and a half allows time for those digestive enzymes to start just start their breakdown. If someone's thirsty after a meal, by all means have a mouthful. But large fluid with the meal will water it down. Also when people are eating every couple of hours. You see, we have one stomach. And that stomach, there's much research to prove this, that one stomach takes three to four hours to digest. 
And then that stomach loves a one-hour rest. So what's that between meals? That's five to six hours between. Mm-hmm. Surely not for children. Do you know they've got the same digestive tract? And you might have noticed, I worked out very early, children say they're hungry when they're bored. Have you noticed? (laughs) And often, when a hunger pang is experienced between meals, it's often dehydration. One day my son Peter came to me and said, Mum, the water's not doing it anymore. I looked at my watch and said, Great, it's lunchtime. Hmm? (laughs) When the water's not doing it anymore, it usually is time. It is time to eat. Also, what exhausts the, the um, hydrochloric acid is eating large amounts at the end of the day. See, when we go to sleep at night, our stomach wants to sleep too. So if there's a huge meal in there, you know, everything slows down. The stomach, the digestion's going to be very slow. And when the person wakes up in the morning, do they feel like eating? No. <laughs> now, my son James, he's a builder. He works out every day. He's very fit. He eats four meals a day. He has breakfast at 5.30 and his, his metabolism is so fast because he's working so much that he has another meal at 11 and he has another meal, I think, about four. And he goes to the gym at night and works out and he has something else to eat about 7.38 and it does him well. Can you see how you've got to play with what works for you. One man said to me, I grew up with eight brothers. Our mother and father said you're having main meal for breakfast, main meal for lunch and that's it. He said, we're working hard on the farm. He said, we'd get into our cars and go to town and eat junk at night. That mother would be far wiser to see she's got growing boys who are working hard and provide something for them to eat at night. So a meal at night that would digest quickly would be fruit or a salad or soup. Big growing boys can have four bowls of soup or a protein drink. A protein drink can digest easily. You just got to work out what works for you and your body will quickly tell you what's working. So that is what's broken down in the stomach. Protein and protein alone. All your... Uh, starch digestion is put on hold because we're now in an acid stomach and then we move through and come to the first part of the small intestine which is called the duodenum and the duodenum has two main organs that are emptying into it Notice we've got the liver here, the gallbladder. The gallbladder is a a reservoir for bile and that bile duct comes down, connects with the neck of the pancreas and empties into the duodenum. It's an alkaline environment in the duodenum. And the enzyme that is released from your gallbladder, so I'll just do GB for gallbladder from the duodenum, is bile. And bile is an enzyme that breaks down long-chain fatty acids, so this is your unsaturated fats. So a lot of those fats are vegetable fats, you know, found in your nuts and your seeds. From the duodenum, the pancreas also releases some enzymes in there. And the pancreas releases... 
pancreatic lipase. And pancreatic lipase does the final breakdown of the unsaturated fats. They're the long-chain fatty acids. So bile starts it, pancreatic lipase finalizes it. The pancreas also releases pancreatic amylase. And remember, Tylen is a salivary amylase, so the amylase salivary, salivary amylase tylus starts the digestion, put on hold in the stomach, comes to the duodenum, and pancreatic amylase finalizes the starch digestion. What's also released in the pancreas is trypsin. And trypsin is the enzyme that finalizes protein digestion. So protein digestion is begun in the stomach and finalized in the duodenum under trypsin and chymotrypsin. So these are two enzymes that break down protein. I've got some good news. It's going to get easier now. They're all the big words. (laughs) From this, students, what's the main organ of digestion? It's the pancreas. Mm Mm-hmm. Most people think that all of their digestion happens in the stomach, but it is not true. Now, one of the great things about saturated fat, it does not need bile. It does not need pancreatic lipase because the breakdown began in the mouth. So people with liver, gallbladder problems, pancreatic problems, what's the best fat for them? Coconut, yeah. Coconut, it's very easy to digest. But you can see if stomach is not acid enough and pepsin can't break down protein, then protein comes into the duodenum and trypsin and chymotrypsin, they just start the breakdown and they should be finalizing the breakdown. At every stage, every organ's role is very important. And if the person ate too fast and didn't give time for the tylen to starch to begin starch digestion and undigested starch gets to the pancreas pancreatic lipase starts sorry pancreatic amylase starts the breakdown whereas it should be finishing it most of your nutrients are absorbed before you get halfway through the small intestine so from the last part of the small intestine it's really just roughage and when the, when the contents of the small intestine gets into the large colon, it's usually mostly liquid. But let's go back to where the food's absorbed, which I call the grand finale of digestion. The small intestine is lined with villi that look like this. And as I showed this morning, that villi should have a thick turf wall and that thick turf wall around it is made out of mostly lactobacillus acidophilus and bifidus bacterium 
There are trillions of microbes in there, but they're the two main ones, and from them most of them are made. And these bacteria is responsible for the final breakdown, the final touches of digestion. They're particularly important for the release of the B vitamins. That bacteria is also important for the absorption of your nutrients across and into the blood. And of course this villi has capillary networks all through it. That thick turf wall, those microbes, are responsible for protecting the blood, wrong colour, protecting the blood against harmful pathogens that might be in the gut. And those microbes are responsible for nourishing the cells that line the gastrointestinal tract. No wonder I call it the grand finale of digestion. How do you know if the gut's working right? Let me give you a story of a man that came to our health retreat with his wife. He was 68, his wife was 67. I said, what is your reason for coming to our retreat? He said, I'm here to accompany my wife. I said, right. Um... I said, how many bowel movements do you average a day? Because I did a health assessment on him. He said, six. I said, oh, that's a lot. He said, yes, I've got irritable bowel. I said, oh, are you on medication? Yes. And he listed the anti-inflammatories and the cortisones. He said, yes, recently the doctor said I can do no more for you. I said, oh. And then I looked at what he ate. He loved bread, he loved meat, he loved dairy and he loved sugar and he loved a couple of scotches every night. You see, when you're healing an irritated gut, this this is what you've got to do. Number one, stop all the irritants. What are the irritants? Wheat, dairy, in fact, all the things he was having. Refined sugar, alcohol. All of these foods are like kerosene to a fire to an irritated gut. And he was having lots of them. Number two, probiotic. Probiotic is for life. And that cortisone that he was on, it's it can break down that gut flora. The very thing he was taking to supposedly heal him, it wasn't at all. All it does is stop the gut being inflamed. And on all that medication, he's going six times a day. And number three, there is a herb called slippery elm. And slippery elm coats, soothes and heals the lining of the gut. Psalm 104 verse 14, the Bible says, God gave herbs for the service of man. Slippery elm is a remarkable herb. It not only gives form to the stool, it coats, soothes and lines the gut and it contains a growth stimulant so it can stimulate rapid healing in the lining of the gut.
I said, can I try some things on you? He said, certainly. Now, we don't serve any wheat or dairy or refined sugar or alcohol at our health retreat. You've probably noticed. I gave him slippery on four times a day, morning, noon, 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. at night. And I gave him a double dose of probiotic. You see, he told me he walks by the beach every morning and where he walks, there are four restrooms on his walk. (laughs) He's got to because he's got to keep going in. So in his one-hour walk every morning, he's got to do four stops. First two days of the program, he's on juices. So I'm watching him closely. I said, how many times are you going? He said, five, that's one less. On juices. You see, the slippery elm gives form and coats and soothes. The second day, he was very happy. He said, I only had to stop three times on my morning walk this morning. And he's going four times. He's dropping one movement a day. Fantastic. And it's becoming formed. Wednesday eating food was much better. I said to him, I believe you can stop your anti-inflammatories and halve your cortisone. He was not interested in doing that on day one, but because of the results he was getting, he became interested. By Friday, he's going three times a day. That's exciting and formed. The bleeding from the bowel had stopped. The cramping had stopped. Did you, this is on medication, all that was happening. On Sunday morning, he came running up to me, very excited. He said, I just went on my morning walk and didn't go. <laughs> oh, how exciting. When he came to our health retreat, who was he here for? And he sat in the consultation like this. Because of the results he was getting... He was very interested because what has his doctor just told him? I can do no more for you. In fact, I know what's next. They start cutting out the colon. Mm-hmm. And you want to keep away from the knife if at all possible. And you see, it's our responsibility to prove to our doctor that we can do it. Mm. And isn't it wonderful when you surprise them? We live in an amazing body. This man's been dealing with this for 30 years. How long was he at our health retreat? One week. He's not healed, but he's getting a long way towards it. Mm-hmm. You see, cortisone is one drug you have to ease off. You have to ease off slowly. I haven't heard anymore, but it was pretty exciting what we saw there. Do you know, as the stool's become more formed and less frequent, he can start easing off the slippery elm. But before he eases off the slippery elm, my suggestion to him was get off the cortisone totally and when everything settles down, start easing off the slippery elm. When he first came to our health retreat, he was not interested in stopping wheat, dairy, sugar and alcohol, but he's interested now. That's one of the beauties of coming to a health retreat is you... You can try things at the health retreat and see what works for you. That will work for gastritis, ulcerative gastritis, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, colitis. It will heal them all. How long will it take? How long is a piece of string? 
depends how willing the person is to adhere to what you've got to do and it also depends on how much medication they're on and how long it's been like this but I can't think of a case more serious than this man's 30 years (laughs) going six times a day blood cramping almost liquid what about the other way round which is when we come to the large colon, not going enough. But before we go there, let's have a look at the appendix. The appendix isn't a mistake. Did you know that? The appendix is a very important organ. It has a nickname. It's called the colon's oil can because what the appendix does, it lubricates the contents that come out so they can pass with ease through the colon. The appendix also releases antibacterial fluid. So if what's coming out of the small intestine is toxic, it can release fluid there to calm it down. Why would it come out of here toxic? Definitely it's always toxic on a meat diet. You see, dogs' dogs' digestive tract is about one and a half metres long, and their meat eaters, it's in and out quickly, whereas human beings, it's about eight and a half metres long. So by the time it's getting down here, it's putrefying. This is a warm environment. You just put meat in a warm environment overnight, what's happening to it? It's going bad. Yes, there are enzymes in there that are breaking it down. Yes, that is happening. Because lots of people eat meat and they're not dead. (laughs) So if someone does want to eat meat, they really have to pack it out with a lot of vegetables to get it through without it poisoning them. Another problem with meat is there's no fibre. And so it easily can get caught in these little pockets. Another reason why if someone chooses to eat meat, it must be with a lot of vegetables to move it through. Now, if a person's eating meat, that food's putrefying. And if they have a steak, say, and ice cream for dessert, that sugar feeds that putrefaction process. So what's coming out here is pretty bad. Now, if what's coming out here is constantly bad, that appendix starts to overwork and it starts to swell. You've heard of people getting appendicitis. (laughs) It's usually just poor old appendix is, is just overworked. So what this colon needs, and we looked at that a little bit today, it needs fiber. Your vegetables are your highest fiber food. Vegetables are high in fiber, high in minerals, low in sugars. Whereas fruit is high in fiber, but it's high in sugars and low in minerals. So your healing foods are more your vegetable foods. One of the main functions of the colon is to take water out so stools are formed. So it's very important to drink adequate water so your colon doesn't have to take too much water out to form the stools. So what happens if a person is only going once a day, How can they encourage their colon to go more? Choose a high fibre diet, make sure they're well hydrated, make sure they're exercising. What if they're doing all of that and they're still only going once a week? And I've met some people that are. Or usually when they start that, they'll start going at least three times a week. The cells in our body develop habits and often the colon has developed a habit. So it's actually, even though you're doing everything right, it's in the habit of not going. So there are herbs that'll revive colon function. 
and the herb tea mix that we are serving you, we call it colon tea because these herbs specifically, directly affect the function of the colon. And this is the recipe. One part cascara, two part licorice, and three part buckthorn. Licorice is a root and buckthorn and cascara are barks. So they all need a gentle simmer. So of that mix, you mix it together in a jar and the recipe is one teaspoon of these herbs to one cup of water. And then there is a gentle simmer. And you would simmer them for, say, 10 minutes. And the dose is... Most people, one cup a night will do. If a person's a bit more frequent, half a cup at night. Only in about three cases have I ever met people that would need three cups a day. But not forever. These herbs, if continually taking, it gets to the point where you have to take less and less and less. Your body's guide basically is your body's response or your guide is your body's response. This is the only uh, tea that I know that acts like a laxative, but it's not addictive because eventually you'll go so much you won't need to take it. Again, at the same time, you've got to eat the fibre, be well hydrated, have most of your food at breakfast and lunch, eat lightly at night. On Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at a poultice lecture where, and you can put castor oil compresses on the abdomen and that penetrates deep and can help to break up any lumps in there. Also at our health retreat in Australia we have a colonic irrigation system and that's very good at starting to clean out the colon and get it moving a little bit better. All that is is warm water going in and coming out again so it basically just softens old build up. Now, as I mentioned to you this morning, another important point is the proper position when you sit on the throne to evacuate, to allow this red muscle, this red muscle is called puborectalis. And puborectalis is there to prevent us uh, being incontinent with our colon. And... I'll recap what I went through this morning for the sake of the film and also repetition deepens the impression. So when a person is sitting on the throne like this, puborectalis remains firm, so it's holding still up the colon. But if someone has a little stool or maybe they've paid the money from bed, bath and beyond and got a squatty potty, so now they are mimicking the squatting position. And when the le- knees are up like this, mimicking the squatting position, that causes puborectalis to relax. And when puborectalis relaxes, then the colon opens and the contents is able to be released with ease. It takes a lot of pressure off the the anus, which means it can prevent hemorrhoids and it can even contribute to the healing of hemorrhoids. 
In many countries today, people still squat. I met a young man, only 25 years of age, and he had a fistula. What's a fistula? You've got one opening in the anus, but another opening here. And he was so embarrassed, as you can imagine. For years, he's had this swelling. And he used to tell his friends that he had this discomfort, and they used to say, don't worry about it, it's just hemorrhoids. Finally, he married, and his wife was a nurse, and for the first time, someone looked at it, and she saw a swelling there, and and it burst one day, and a lot of blood and pus came out. But because he continued to eat a bad diet, refined food, lots of weed, lots of meat, the pressure remained to the point where he now had a fistula, which means a hole came right through there and back through to his anus which is very uncomfortable. So the doctor did a colonoscopy on him and found a whole heap of polyps in here and took the polyps out, 25 years of age. I talked to his mother. He had had all the symptoms of a wheat and a dairy intolerance from a very young age, but he continued to eat it, not knowing what it was doing to him. So there's two things that had to happen here. One thing is the wheat, dairy, refined sugar had to stop Slippery Elm started to be taken to heal the colon and I said to him, you need to get a little stool to take all the pressure on this area down here. He said, it's interesting you say that to me because he said, six months ago my mates and I were camping out in the bush so we had to dig a hole and squat and he said, it was so comfortable for me because it didn't have pressure there. Now I told him, that one thing that will speed up that healing is to get two tubs. And he was a fairly slim young man, so he could easily get tubs that he sits in. So two tubs, this is a hydrotherapy treatment, and it's called sits baths. So he sits in the tub of hot water. That's how he's got to sit, and the water's like this. So he has a hot tub, and he does that for three minutes. Then he does a cold tub, ideally with ice cubes in it, and he does that for 30 seconds. And these sits bars he does three times. On Thursday night, Vanessa's going to be talking to you about hydrotherapy. You see, what's next medically? They start cutting. Uh, he's 25. His wife's pregnant with their first child. And that's why he agreed to see me. So I said to him, if you implement stopping the wheat, dairy, refined sugar, you start the slippery arm to heal that, you start doing the sits bars. I said, do them every night. How long will that take? Ten minutes? I said, you just got to have the tubs, you just got to make an appointment. <laughs> I said, that will bring a lot of relief. This, the doctor had just put a uh, rubber loop between the fistula and the anus. And the poor man, you know, he could hardly walk, he could hardly sit, 25. That's the first of a series of operations they planned to do. I said, if I was you, I'd put all that on hold and try this. You see, the body's designed to heal itself. And it will heal itself if you give it the right conditions. 
you see what may happen another operation and then another operation and oops it's not working and so now there's too many polyps and some of the polyps are cancerous so then they start they now start taking part of the large colon away and then he has to have a colostomy which is a hole here with a bag Whoa, it's not looking good not looking good I said to him it is not by accident that I'm here to speak to you <laughs> I believe this was a divine appointment he said thank you so much many people are sick through ignorance so before we close let me just go back to the stomach I looked at what causes a reduction in your hydrochloric acid how can you increase it stop drinking with the meal start having breakfast like a king lunch like a queen tea like a pauper and have the juice of a lemon with a tiny bit of boiling water in it just before the meal because your lemon is acid and it's a great digestive aid the other thing you can do is put a quarter of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper in a little water and have that just before the meal won't it burn it actually never burns it just feels like it it tingles a little bit but it will also wake up the gastric glands and it is in that way that you can increase your body's ability to digest pineapple enzymes that's a good question let me show you that now notice notice that um, the stomach releases pepsin and it releases and the duodenum via the pancreas trypsin and chymotrypsin those three are proteolytic enzymes proteolytic and proteolytic enzymes break down protein and there are two plants that have proteolytic enzyme one is the pineapple and the pineapple has bromelain in it and that is a proteolytic enzyme and the papaya has papain in it so proteolytic enzymes break down protein so your proteolytic enzyme is trypsin and trimotrypsin and pepsin and these also are proteolytic enzymes the good news is you can buy bromelain and papain in a tablet form a concentrated form and I personally would prefer someone use the lemon juice or the cane pepper because it boosts your stomach to make its own but if someone has pancreatic problems pancreatitis pancre pancreas um, that is cancerous they need the proteolytic enzymes many people with pancreatitis or pancreatic cancer die of malnutrition do you see why because the pancreas is the main organ of digestion so if anyone has pancreatic problems the proteolytic enzymes papain and bromelain are vital for them some products have something called porcine in it 
and that's an enzyme extracted from the stomach of the pig. I'm not interested in that. So be mindful when you read your labels. And there are some herbs that are very bitter and they stimulate the release of digestive enzymes, liver enzymes and pancreatic and that is gentian and dandelion and St Mary's thistle or sometimes it's called milk thistle. So the beauty of these three herbs is they will increase digestion in the stomach, they will increase the liver's ability to release its bile and also pancreas. So those three herbs do those three. So they stimulate it to do it where the bromelain and the papain, they basically can even take the place of those other proteolytic enzymes. And there ends our journey through the gastrointestinal tract. And tomorrow we're going to look at the liver and I'm going to show you what happens to these tiny little microscopic particles that have been broken down from these foods and come into the blood. We will continue our journey. So tomorrow we look at what happens once those microscopic particles are in the blood and how the liver deals with them. So thank you for your attention.